So that's kind of the beauty and the dynamic of what we're trying to do. We're really trying to leverage technology and have a backbone of manufactured construction, but really try to support the construction world and the design world in ways that they've always been working. So being a disruptor without disrupting. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of building and remodeling. I invite you to join us as we explore an industry that is always evolving with new products, new designs, new practices, and new technologies. From builders to remodelers to design uh, experts to executives, as well as some of those just with outside perspectives, each episode of Construction Disruption is going to meet with forward thinkers as well as other in-the-know folks to share their unique insights. Construction Disruption is produced and created and sponsored by Isaiah Industries, which is a manufacturer of specialty metal roofing systems and other building materials. I'm Todd Miller. Our co-host is our sales manager, Seth Heckeman. Our creative director, Ryan Bell, and content creator, Ethan Young, are our behind-the-scenes production team. So, Seth, um, our listeners and viewers will have no idea as to when we recorded this, but I'd be remiss if I didn't say happy birthday to you today. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, great way to celebrate. You know, most of us get our birthday off as a holiday when we're on birthday here, but apparently you don't. No, you booked me for 12 hours today, so okay. that's on you, I think. Awesome. So. Well, good. Um <laughs> This one is a big one for you, starting a brand new decade, um, your 40s, oh, wait, <laughs> your 30s. Um, I got to say, I'm very blessed by our member team members here at Isaiah Industries, um, certainly you and so many others. Um, I can refer to you as some of our younger folks. Um, of course, you have 12 years under your belt, so I don't know if you still qualify one of those, plus the whole 30s thing, but um, certainly blessed by you, and thank you for uh, all you do here. Absolutely. Thank you. So one of the things you and I need to start to do, um, we need to start to share stories. So Seth and I have uh, traveled, had a lot of experiences together over the years, and we have run into some crazy things in this construction industry. So um, future podcast, just to give you a little tease, everyone, we're going to start to share some of those stories and uh, some of the things, uh, some of our fun adventures, I'll call them anyway. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, our guest today is another young and fresh voice who really is leading the way um, in the $1.6 trillion North American construction industry. Uh, Lindsey Ray is Vice President of Interior Construction for Falk Built Limited. Uh, with about 300 team members scattered over 40-some locations, uh, Falk Built is headquartered in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and they provide interior design and construction services that are intended to revolutionize the construction industry with digital technologies. Fairly new to the scene, Falkbilt manages digital components aimed to bring speed, efficiency, and sustainability to the construction industry. They aim to build quick, cost-effective interior solutions such as doors, window frames, walls for healthcare, education, and commercial spaces worldwide with a focus on spaces and rooms that are airtight, noise-free, bacteria-repelling, and easily cleaned. Their off-site manufacturing and 
on-site assembly of precise construction components um, provides for a fast, clean, and efficient install of interior spaces. Lindsay's degree and experience are in interior design and architecture. Um, I really see what Falkbilt is doing as being truly disruptive to our industry, and I'm excited to learn more. Um, Lindsay, if I understand things correctly, you've been with Falkbilt pretty much since its beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, in my description of the company, I used a lot of words that, frankly, I stole from the internet. Uh, <laughs> so I'm curious, could you kind of share with us and, and tell us um, a little bit more, maybe in layman's terms, of uh, what your company does and what you do? Absolutely. Um, so I think you described Falkbilt fairly accurately, but it's exciting because we really are trying to revolutionize this world of interior construction, but we're actually trying to do it in alignment with the way that construction has been done for over a hundred years. So that's kind of the beauty and the dynamic of what we're trying to do. We're really trying to leverage technology and have a backbone of manufactured construction, but really try to support the construction world and the design world in ways that they've always been working. So being a disruptor without disrupting, um, if that's a a good way to put it. That's cool. Hmm. That's pretty neat. So you kind of come from an entire interior design background. Um, Was your passion for that something that you always had as a child and something you always (laughs) cared about? Or is it something more that you fell into? Um, You really sound patient, so I'm guessing you've had it for a while. But tell us a little bit about how you came to, to do what you do. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a little bit of dumb luck, honestly. I think, you know, the idea of venturing into your four-year university with some idea of like who you want to be as an adult is pretty scary, but somehow I had it figured out that I knew I had the math brain, I had the art brain, and interior design and architecture was kind of the best of both worlds. Um, The format in college for interiors and architecture was super supportive of how I work best. It's very collaborative. It's very project-based. Um, So ever since I had decided to major in interior design, I've really fallen in love with it. I don't think that for me, it's really a career. It's more of who I am, frankly. And so it's just been something that's really been in alignment with myself. So after graduating college, I worked for uh, a few different architecture firms. I moved out of state for a few years and then came back to Northeast Ohio and worked for a really large global architecture firm working on commercial interiors and large scale world headquarters projects. So as you talk there about, you know, what, drives you and and kind of that love for collaboration and project-based things. I'm just kind of curious. I mean, any particular project you've worked on that comes to mind that, wow, I really loved that one? Well, I have a soft spot in my heart for Goodyear. I was a part of Goodyear's global headquarters in Akron, Ohio. Sure. And so I've become wow. a Goodyear snob ever since. <laughs> uh, so whenever I get a new car, it has to have Goodyear tires. Uh, but it was a really fantastic project because they just have such a rich heritage and culture in terms of what they do. And they're so proud of who they are and their brand. And so from a construction standpoint, I learned so much in that project, but they were also just a really fantastic company to get to know. And the people that work there were just really, really amazing, proud people of, of that brand and that company. So that was a really kind of once in a lifetime experience. Man, it is an iconic brand. I have to say a couple, like it was last week, I was driving in my hometown and I saw a ground van um, for the blimp uh, or one of the blimps in my town. So I'm like looking at the sky all over thinking, surely I'm going to see it. I never did see it. They were just kind of sitting someplace. I thought, well, there's got to be something going on. But <laughs> that was pretty cool. But what an iconic brand. That's pretty cool to have worked with them. Definitely. It's on my bucket list to get a ride in that blimp one day. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Hasn't happened yet. (laughs) (laughs) 
So as I think back to commercial and public spaces and office spaces, so um, I have to share that when I started my career 35 years ago, um, my office, and for the most part, pretty much every office I visited in the country um, were these boxes um, of offices with wall-to-wall wood paneling. And it started out, it was like dark, knotty pine, real wide board stuff. And then it was we were really styling later when we turned more to some of the honey oak finishes and the narrower boards. That was pretty cool. Um, but so, so different from today. And um, the reality was after being trapped in that paneled office all day. Um, By the end of the day, I really wanted to go home where I probably had more wall-to-wall paneling now that I think about it. Um, I'm curious, what what are your philosophies, what are your thoughts on how that entire interior design of the environments that we work in um, or live in or visit, um, how does that impact, uh, impact us? It's a fantastic question. And I think, especially in the world of the workplace, I think the environment has become, it's, I mean, a lot of it's driven by consumerism and the world that we live in, everything's so fast paced. And so I think our interior environments really have to do a lot of things. They can't just be a space that you come to work and uh, four walls. They really have to have a lot of function. They have to be dynamic. I think they have to be tied to the people that we work with and the culture of the companies we work with. And so I think the interior environment really has this opportunity to be really special, be very purposeful, have intent, um, but also serve the people that are within those spaces. And that sounds a little like, I don't know, high level, but, you know, I think when it really comes down to it, there's no reason why interior spaces can't do that. So whether it's a healthcare space or your doctor's office or a dentist's office, now more than ever, the spaces we visit are so much more purposeful in terms of when we go and how we go there. And so I think people are really taking a pause now um, to think about how those spaces can be designed to be as purposeful as possible, to be as useful as possible, but then also to be flexible, because I think we've learned that the world around us is changing faster than we ever imagined. So how do we solve all these problems, but also be able to evolve and change as companies and brands and everything else around us evolves as well. When you think back on that Goodyear project, or maybe it's some other pro, you know, project that comes to mind, you know, can you give us some examples of that where moving beyond just expedient, efficient function of, of the space and really, um, you know, reshape it, reform it to shape who, uh, who's going to be using it? Absolutely. So I think that project is interesting for me because I also feel like it was like a, a precursor to my my career in, in prefab construction because we were really involved in the programming and the human side of how space is allocated. And it's a 700,000 square foot building. It's a massive oh, wow. building. And their teams were changing so much as they were building office space that they were tearing drywall offices down in this brand new building as they were building them because their programs had shifted. And so to me, I was like, this just does not make sense. Like, this is crazy to me that we have such an antiquated process that it can't support their company literally just during the the, the construction phase. So if it can't, can't support that now, how is it going to evolve in the life cycle of this building in 25 years? So I think that experience really led me to this idea that there is there should be a better way to build. And so I think that physical example to me um, even just not even just touching on the sustainable side of that, the sustainability and, and how 
that plays a role in this. I think that was just interesting to see how much companies do change and do evolve. So that was a big lesson for me. The other fantastic component of their space that I think was very well executed was there were so many moments from a branding standpoint that really anywhere throughout that building in a very simple manner, you knew whose space you were in without seeing a Goodyear logo. So there was a tie to their like their chemistry background and how tires are made and like the actual alchemy of tires. And so the history and like it just was very thorough and thought thought out in terms of how you understood them as a company and them as a brand without even seeing a Goodyear logo. So that part of environmental design, I think, was really, really great to see executed on that project. Mm, very neat. I want to visit there sometime now. Got, it's, got, I got love it. Hooked. It's like it's a really, really amazing building. Can you get us in? <laughs> yeah, we'd love to see. <laughs> <laughs> I we can arrange something. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm sitting here thinking, so, so my son graduated from college in spring of 2020 in the midst of everything, but um, he was computer engineering and he's out looking for job and all that type of stuff. And that was about the same time this television show, Zoe's Fantastic Playlist. What is it? Zoe's something playlist? Extraordinary. Extraordinary Playlist was on television. I don't know if you ever watched that, but they work at this incredible office environment. And they're, they're always changing stuff between episodes too to make it look different. But I kept thinking, okay, that would be cool if he could get a job in a place that had an environment like that. Instead, he got a job where he's working from his home pretty much every day of the week. But, uh, you know, it, it is interesting to, to think about how that environment kind of plays on us and, and be able to be totally immersed in it as a team member some places is very neat. And so I applaud you for what you're doing. Um, you mentioned, I, I want to touch on something. You, you've talked a lot about Falk Built and the process there or the that you try to follow and the new process you're bringing, but yet still honoring the old. Um, but then I also, when I think of design, as, uh, interior design, I think of aesthetics and what stuff looks like. How do, how do you as a company create that balance between process versus aesthetics, if you will? That's actually a really good question because I think it's a problem that we're trying to solve often. Um, because we have an assembled solution that is kind of built with components on site, there's this innate flexibility or design around those components being componentized. And so there's definitely an aesthetic that comes with that. Um, So our cladding that finishes a wall that's factory finish has reveals. And so you really do have to be kind of mindful as to how you work with those reveals. And I think that's a, a big part of our upfront processes to support the design community in really embracing that. I think, unfortunately, it's it's change and it's different. So a lot of times that's just seen as something that people aren't comfortable with. And so it really does add a lot of value from a solution standpoint in terms of how we build adding flexibility and being able to layer in the aesthetic design side of how we make those reveals intentful. Um, it's really multiple components to make that aesthetic accepted and embraced, if that makes sense. And so it's more than design in a lot of cases. And it's hard for, I think, some interior designers to embrace that because it really is about your client's business and their financials. And there's so many components that makes what that space you build mean something. And so it can't just be about aesthetics. In my opinion, it should be about, you know, fulfilling a lot of different needs and also business drivers for your client. 
That's very interesting. That's good stuff to think about. Um, as you as you clients approach you these days, are there any new frustrations or dreams or wishes that clients are bringing to you these days? Uh, maybe especially in the light of the COVID or post-COVID or hopefully someday post-COVID world that we live in? I think there's always the challenge of kind of balancing the unknowns. So whether it's schedule, whether it's budget. So there seems to be this constant uncertainty around construction. And so I think a lot of clients who aren't used to the construction process or the cost of what it takes to build a space, there's just constant change. And so we try to align ourselves with all the partners on a project, whether it's a construction manager or a GC or the architect to really help add that cost certainty and that time certainty, because I think even just guaranteeing that we can build this in the time that we say we can with the, t- the budget we're giving you is not really what's happening in the world around us. You know, raw materials are constantly changing and there's shortages. And so I think that uncertainty, as much as we can be experts and support them in that journey, is what they're really looking for. Are any of those, I'm just curious, raw material shortages, I mean, are they forcing design changes in order to somewhat try to stay on schedule or are people just waiting it out? Yeah, it's a little bit of both, honestly, sadly. we um, There's been recently, if you look into the float glass shortage, which is the raw glass material, it's affecting the alcohol industry, it's affecting the construction industry. Um, a lot of it's due to the fact that all the restaurants and bars were closed for so long that there's no recycled glass. So we're having a shortage on the recycled glass standpoint. There's a shortage on sand. Like there's so many legs to these shortages that it's actually pretty interesting to look into. So we have had some clients make changes for acoustically rated glazing to get a solution that doesn't have the best performance, but we can get it on time. So there's definitely times where clients have to make compromises just to get projects done on time, unfortunately. Wow. Hey, I hadn't really thought about that. I'd I mean, I'd wondered some whether there were people who were making substitutions just in, in uh, respect of time. And yeah, you're right. I mean, we see it in our industry too. Um, this supply chain thing, it's not just like one component. It's components mm-hmm. that go into that component and components that exactly. go into those. It's, just, it's crazy and, and stuff that I think most of us never even had to think about before. We just took it all for granted that you know, they tell me it'll be here in eight weeks. I'll be here in eight weeks. Or they tell me it'll be here in two weeks. I'll be here in two weeks. Um, What, um, I'm just kind of curious, tell me a little bit about the process when someone comes to to Falk Built and, you know, they've got an interior space to build out. Um, What does that process look like once they engage you? That's a, that's a good question. So we as a company are kind of positioned as like an inter- intermediary to a lot of different other things. And so in some cases, there's the code compliance and there's egress and there's permitting. And so that would involve an architect. And so we would kind of be a liaison from the very initial design phase with an architect through the the actual, you know, being a subcontractor under the GC. So we have a few different ways that we operate and we engage in different capacities, but our goal is to really engage throughout that entire timeline to support the design, to support pricing at a very early stage, to, you know, work through pricing studies, add value from a cost certainty standpoint, and also constructability to confirm, you know, I, I don't think there's a lot of companies that exist to help 
design firm to understand that what they're designing can actually be built or what it costs. And so there's a lot of time and value in that. And so that's a big part of what we do in terms of just saying like, here's actually how we can engineer this. Here are the hardware details. Here's what this construction detail looked like. So it's a lot of coordinating what we would build and what we would manufacture along with whatever, whatever, whatever everyone else around us would be doing as well. So I think we're unique in terms of how we serve both the front design end and, you know, end up manufacturing and constructing these spaces, which is probably where I get the most fulfillment because you really get to see the full life cycle of a project. So roughly what percentage of your work is new construction, I mean, new buildings versus retrofit of existing? That's a good question. I would say probably 50, 50, or maybe only 30% is new construction. There's definitely a ton of renovation work happening. Um, we've done a lot of renovation in healthcare. We've also done a lot of new construction in healthcare. So probably, probably 50, 50 approximately. And, and you folks are doing the manufacturing a lot, a lot of the interior components also, correct? We are, yes. We currently manufacture everything in Canada, but we are working on some micro factories in the U.S. So part of the design of our solution is that we have created a link from Revit, which is a, a BIM 3D modeling software, to the actual you know, software that feeds CNC machines and our manufacturing floor. So it really allows us to streamline how we take a Revit model and actually order a material because we're literally manufacturing from that Revit model. Wow. That's neat. And because I that was one of the missing pieces as I was kind of looking at what you do. I kept wondering, well, how's that happening exactly? Mm -hmm. Oh, very neat. Do you have a preference on the new new versus retrofit? And does does new provide you much flexibility or do you find, you know, you can pretty much have your heart's desire on the retrofit side too? I think you can really do a lot with both. Um We've done some fantastic projects in both capacities. Honestly, sometimes the, the renovation projects are a little more complex, so it's almost a little more satisfying to solve problems around those existing constraints versus a shiny, perfect new rectangle, even though they're never really rectangular. <laughs> um, so probably a little bit of both. What do you find um, your clients, once they engage and learn a little bit about what you guys can do, I mean, is there like an aha moment where they realize, gee whiz, these people are really doing things differently? And if, what does that, what's that like? I mean, I think unfortunately most people's reaction is it's too good to be true. Like there's uh, no way you can, you can be new, you can build faster, you can build cleaner and be cost effective. And so it's almost like our, you know, our challenge to live up to those expectations. Um, a lot of that too is managing the constraints of how we're being compared to conventional construction or drywall and metal studs. So it's a lot of like nitty gritty in the weeds, like how do we work through this? And then once we get to that point, it's definitely exciting. I think clients are particularly thrilled about the idea of having flexibility. Most clients don't need that flexibility. There aren't a lot of clients that actually move walls. Some do, but to know that they can, or they can add a TV or they can change an office into a huddle room, I think to really have that peace of mind that you don't have to get it right the first time is, is really something that clients look for. Um, it's a massive financial investment to renovate space or to build a new space. And so to know that you can evolve and change um, is usually, I think, that the it's, it's like a relief almost. Wow. So you, you offer them an option really that, you know, it will be flexible down the road as well then. Absolutely. The, co the assembled components can always be disassembled. So there's a lot of ways that that can be, I mean, even if you have a tenant that's leasing space, they can theoretically disassemble that entire 
office space and move it with them to the next space that they go in. And we could make modifications if there's a height change or if there's different building constraints. I mean, but that's really truly the like the Lincoln Log Lego kit of parts that we have. It's truly that flexible and it's it's an asset. So it depreciates like an asset and they can take it with them like that as well. It, it seems like over the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of exodus of tenants from, you know, retail mall spaces, even from office spaces, as a lot of work has, uh, you know, gone work from home type situations. Um, what what are you folks feeling? I mean, what opportunities might come out of that for a company like yours? And I guess, too, what are you guys thinking as far as work from home? Do you think it's always going to be here? Or do you think it's going to turn back more traditional at some point? I think that there's a lot of ways it's going to evolve. I think that the model that we, we are starting to see the most and that I think we'll continue to see is that there will be some companies that will return to work. But a lot of companies have shifted into this kind of hub and wheel spoke approach where you really got these these satellite locations around the U.S. even and a lot of those may be home offices. But the hub of that wheel is a space that's very dynamic, very purposeful. And so it may be smaller than the footprint they had before. There may be less dedicated office space, but it's a way to really provide a place for people to come, to touch down, to share, to collaborate, and to really be dipped headfirst in the culture of the companies they work for. Um, I, I think there's, there's inevitably a missing link when people are home um to who they're really working for and what that company is i think that the balance of that is fantastic because i love having a few days at home to have heads down time and hang out with my cats and i'm super productive at home and i know some people aren't but i definitely think there's this level of learning and just really understanding the people and the companies we're, we're working for that is missed so i think that just really providing purposeful space for that will be the future of that balance of work from home or be in the office space. Have you had any clients come to you and say, hey, can you help us with components that people can take to their homes for their for their WFH space and, and make that space more productive? We have. We have, actually. Um, we do have kind of a furniture arm of our business, and that company has a lot of resources for, and it's actually, it's exciting to see how much the world's evolved in the last 18 months, honestly. I think it's, it's as hard as it's been, it's also exciting. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of companies that are being really purposeful and care a lot about their employees, even at home. And so a lot of companies can offer like a virtual portal, and you can have a budget, and you can go in and spend, you know, say $600 on a chair, on a desk, on accessories, and really make your home space super effective. And so I think seeing things like that is really exciting. And a lot of these companies have the capital to spend it. So it's a great way to use that resource and support their employees at home too. I've, I've seen a little bit of that. Some big companies giving, I, I guess I haven't seen them so much supplying things yet, but I've seen them giving people budgets to develop that work from home space. So. As you look out a little bit, um, five to 10 years, and what do you see as some of the real challenges you think are going to continue to face construction or um, interior construction build outs? Um, what do you think are going to be some of the main challenges? Any new challenges you think are on the horizon? I think it'll be interesting to see how these material shortages evolve. I think it's something that in the in the capacity that it's happened, and in every different corner of the world, I don't think we've encountered this before. So I'm definitely curious to see how, from a supply chain standpoint, the world of construction bounces back and how we continue to evolve. 
I think the biggest challenge is is really how we mitigate cost. Um, so how do we, you know, does the construction world, you know, level out a little bit? Are we going to continue see, to see the cost of construction rise with the shortage of materials and the material cost rising? So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how that affects what we build and how we build. Um, I also think we're going to be challenged to, you know, serve clients in a way that meets this consumerism world that we live in. I mean, I think that is truly challenging the world of construction and the world of architecture and design. And so I think how we evolve to to be fast, to be respo responsive, but also be mindful and kind of stay true to the roots of like how we do business um, will be interesting to see as well. Switching gears a little bit, I know I in, in our world, roofing and, and building materials, I think a lot about color, and I'm often thinking about, you know, where do those trends for new colors and things come from? And I know recently I've been looking a lot at some of the trending colors in automotive and thinking, gosh, is that something that could be carried over or should be carried over to roofing? As an interior designer, where do you look for those inspiration of trends and, and you know, things that are the direction things are heading? Where do you find that inspiration? So that's a fun question. I think we're fortunate in that we are kind of a liaison to the world of architecture and design. So we have the benefit of working with firms across the U.S. So I personally and us has kind of a liaison it's, it's really exciting to see how each company is, is designing. And so there's a lot of inspiration in terms of how, you know, different parts of the country might have a certain aesthetic or might have, you know, de construction details even that are more in tune with how they build and how they design things. So I'm always, you know, excited to see how the design world is interpreting trends and forecasts um, and being able to kind of compare and, comp and contrast how those partners of ours are really doing that as well. We're also fortunate because we have Sherwin-Williams in our backyard. So it's always exciting to see how, you know, they're forecasting color and what that means from them from a, a paint standpoint as well. So that's always exciting to see too. We got lucky because I think it was in 2019, maybe the uh, the colors of the year were yellow and gray, which are Fox colors. So we got pretty fortunate from a marketing standpoint. We didn't plant that one, but um, so it's fun to see how you know Sherwin William ties into that as well. So, do they have a design studio or something there in Cleveland that you can go to and? They do, and they're actually building some in different markets as well. So they have a whole um, forecasting team that works through you know trends, and that's really all they do is study study trends in color, study what that means to, you know, every version of the design community. Um, and they are building some actual design centers to really dive into their options from a color standpoint um, in different cities as well. Very neat. It'd be fun to have someone from there on uh, construction disruption sometime to kind of... Yeah, I can make that connection. Yeah, that'd be great. That would be really neat. That'd be neat as well. Yeah. Um, so if you were to, if you met someone today who is just starting out in, in design or construction and, you know, you, you bridge that gap so much between the two, um, what words of advice would you have for them? It's a tough question. Um, I think one of the biggest things is to, is to really leverage technology and build a skill set that allows you to be adaptive. I think that's something that we've all learned is how much everything around us is changing. So 
the more you can learn about, even if it's graphic design or print design, like the more you understand different components around us that may not necessarily apply to interiors or construction, I just think it lends yourself to the problem solving that is innate to design and construction. So whether it's, you know, an interior designer understanding roofing and how that works and what that process looks like, I just think the more you can learn and be adaptive really will serve you long term. What are some of the ways that you make those connections and learn and watch? Are there certain websites you pay attention to or who do you watch and listen to, I guess? I mean, I think YouTube's a great place. Honestly, I think you could probably self-teach yourself anything from YouTube. Um, so I, I think that's probably the number one resource now. I mean, even when I was in college, it wasn't really a, I don't even know if YouTube existed, frankly, but um, but just, you know, just being open-minded to, to challenging yourself and not waiting to be asked to learn something, whether it's a soft, like Photoshop is an example. I think Photoshop is one of those softwares that like transcends any career. And so just having a unique skill set to understand how you can use different tools and teach yourself enough to be dangerous, I think is always a really great characteristic and obviously a skill set to have too. So Falkbilt certainly seems like a great company that really is pushing the envelope and disrupting. Are you guys hiring? I mean, are there, if folks are looking for career starts, a good place to go to? Absolutely. Yep. Falkbilt's hiring across the U.S. So we have a network of branches and um, we're looking for all different sorts of people. It's, it's, it's hard to hire, honestly, for, for what we do because it's such a weird, you know, amalgamation of skill sets. So we're usually looking for unicorns that understand engineering, understand construction, understand design. Um, so definitely looking to hire as we continue to grow. Gosh, thank you. We've covered a lot of ground. Is, is there anything that you wanted to share today that we haven't touched on? I think this was awesome to chat. I really appreciate the time. Um, I think one of the things that we always run into every day is you know, when you're in the world of something new, you should expect to be challenged. You should expect for people to have a hard time adapting. And so as much as you can be an expert and be willing to not get discouraged when you're you're a disruptor and people don't want to be disrupted and they don't understand, um, I just think that the willingness to continue to push through that, be optimistic, try to be an expert, um, but not not beat people over the heads per se, I think is always a fine line. Um, so, but it's exciting to see as the world of construction changes and evolves, you know, you will find people that will be supportive. Um, so it's just kind of cool to see how, how we can disrupt in a world that isn't really used to it. You're absolutely right. Um, and, and that's a lot of what we talk about here on, uh, on this podcast is that construction industry by and large has been fairly stodgy, fairly slow to change, fairly slow to adapt technology. Um, but yet I really think we're at a point where we are going to and where Absolutely. we have to, and the disruptors are forcing that, which is great. And so that's what we love talking about is, yeah, what, what those next things are going to look like. Cool stuff. So um, one of the challenges we give guests on our podcast is if they wish to participate in our rapid fire question round. Um, so Lindsay Ray, what that means is we're going to ask you seven questions um, where you just, your only commitment is to give us the first quickest thing that comes to mind. Um, now our listeners and viewers have to understand Lindsay has no idea what we're going to ask her. Um, so are you wanting to participate? Absolutely. Cool. Well, I'm going to turn it over to Seth and let him fire the questions at you and uh, see where it goes from there. All right, there. here we go. Rapid fire. 
Rain or snow? Rain. I think, okay. You gave us a, a hint at this one earlier. I don't know if they picked up on it, but dogs or cats? Cats. <laughs> Favorite board game? Probably Monopoly. Really? Interesting. Wow. Old school. <laughs> I, I went through a period with my three to five year old son where we were playing six to eight games of Monopoly a day. Um, it, yeah, it, it was, yeah, I'm, I'm still a little scarred by it, but uh, <laughs> still one of my favorites. So good answer. And your record was not very good against your Oh, I lost. I, I never won. Never <laughs> won. How many emails do you send a day? Too many. <laughs> I don't want to know. That's, that's yeah. I, I feel bad asking the question because I don't want to know for <laughs> myself too. So, what color is your toothbrush? White. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? Interesting. Um, who would I trade lives with? Wow. Oh my gosh. They could probably be dead or alive. Yeah, that, okay. that's fair. Uh, I would trade li lives with Queen Elizabeth. Okay, there you go. Wow. I would look a little funny doing that, but that's kind of a cool <laughs> idea. <laughs> I love the crown, so some, for some reason that's where my head went. Okay. <laughs> that was my reason, too. <laughs> I lasted through season four, I think, and then I, I my wife finished. I, I haven't made it all the way through, but that was... A season four might be the best. I think you should get back on the train. All right, there we go. <laughs> Favorite book when you were growing up? Um, favorite book. I don't know what they were called, but I was a big fan of those like choose your destiny books where you could like pick a path. And, uh, that was always choose your own adventure. Yeah. Yes. There you mm -hmm. go. Yeah. That, that got brought up in my house just a few days ago. So I was a fan really? of those as well. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, your life kind of like is a daily choose your own adventure thing. It seems like <laughs> he's got two little ones at home. So yeah. Sounds about right. Uh, this has been great. Enjoyed it a great deal. Um, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Um, thank you. Thanks for having me. So I do want to ask you, um, why might someone want to connect with you? And if they wanted to, what's the best way for them to do that? Absolutely. I love to be a resource or might need a resource from someone themselves as well. So I'd say I'm a, I'm a big component of mind melding and networking. So anyone wants to reach out, especially if you're young, I'm a huge fan of supporting the, you know, growing design community. I taught at my alma mater for a while. So if you're a student who wants to shadow, I would welcome you with open arms any day of the week. Um, so anyone can reach out at any time. And I am on LinkedIn. So um, that's a great place to find me and get in touch. Very good. And that's Lindsay Ray. It's Lindsay with an E and Ray with an A. I yep, got, I got that go. down. <laughs> so I, and I have to say, you touched on something there that um, we have recorded three podcasts, three episodes today, and every one of them touched on the that aspect of mentoring and, mm -hmm. you know, finding someone as you're building your career and you're developing, uh, finding someone that who will mentor you and who you can learn from. And uh, that's good stuff. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. It's been a pleasure. Enjoyed getting to meet you, and uh, I really look forward to hearing more about Falkbilt uh, in coming months and years and um, following you guys and hopefully seeing Goodyear someday and seeing other spaces you've worked on. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you very much. So that was fun talking to Lindsay, and I, and I think it's pretty interesting what Falkbilt is doing. It'll be really interesting 
uh, to see their future. Um, one of the things I know I've thought a lot about over the years is, you know, one of the trends in manufacturing is always toward, you know, how can we be more efficient? How can we standardize more things? And and we know what we deal with as a company. I mean, we've got like eight or 9,000 active SKUs in our little company. Uh, I mean, it's just unreal, the number of products. And yet, you know, you think, okay, well, things could be more efficient. Things could probably drive cost out of things if you only had 2,000 SKUs. Um, but then you're also taking away a lot of that design opportunity from the end customer. Um, so, you know, we do things like custom colors and, and things like that. I just think that's interesting to think about, you know, that mixture of how do you continue to drive efficiencies in manufacturing, but yet, you get closer to the consumer, don't you think, by being able to offer them more customization? Well, absolutely. I think people are going to expect a greater level of flexibility when, you know, in the digital world, things are created out of thin air constantly and they hear about 3D printing and all these other tools that are supposed to be driving that level of flexibility and customization. They're going to expect that from our industry as well. And if we are able to be flexible and customized, we're able to create all the more emotional engagement because we're catering that that solution to them and what their heart's desire is. It was cool hearing Lindsay, uh, you know, reminisce about past projects and, and, you know, talk about her, see her eyes light up, talking about the intentionality by which everything was designed. And so, you know, in our world where we're talking about exteriors versus her world of interiors, you know, we we don't necessarily get into that as much. I think on the replacement remodeling side, it's this is the product I sell. This is the pro. You know, we're selling that product to the homeowner and we're moving on to the next one. But you know, what additional emotional engagement, what additional satisfaction could we offer our customers and and ourselves, anyone involved in the project? If this is the pure perfect intention that that went behind this, this is the customized solution we created. Um, I think it it would be a much more pleasurable experience. Yeah, and and I certainly know over the years because of some of the custom options we offer, which a lot of our customers don't take advantage of, but because of some of the ones that we offer, those are some of our most excited customers at the end um, because they had that emotional involvement in doing their own design or or their own dreaming, if you will. Um, Yeah, it's a small percentage of our business, but uh, that small percentage of customers out there, we do have a competitive advantage over uh, our competitors who who don't offer that level of customization. Well, I'm excited to see how things play out with Falkbelt, and it'll be really interesting, I think, to see if some of the things that they're doing can be brought outside of just the interior of the building, too. And uh, I still have this dream after talking to her of every office space looking like Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, (laughs) and that would be cool. Absolutely. Cereal bar included. There you go. Thanks so much, Lindsay. We enjoyed it. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into this episode of Construction Disruption with our guest, Lindsay Ray of Falkbelt Limited. I encourage you, please watch for future episodes of our podcast. We have lots of great guests on tap in coming weeks. And don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Um, Until then, we always encourage everyone, change the world for someone, make them smile, bring them encouragement, bring them hope. Those are all some of the most powerful things that any of us can do, and yet they're very, very simple in order to change the world one interaction at a time. God bless. Take care. This is Isaiah Industries signing off until the next episode of Construction Disruption.